Welcome to the Everyday to Sermon podcast, a member of the Charisma Podcast Network and the Edify Podcast Network. This is episode 47. I really hope you checked out last week's episode. I talked to Peter Lublink. He's the executive director of an organization called Bethany Kids. They provide pediatric medical care to Africa. And it would be awesome if you support them one way or another, if you can give to them financially or bring it up to your church, or if you can just go to their website, follow them on Instagram and give them support that way. I would truly appreciate it. Did you know you can watch all of these podcast episodes in video form on my YouTube page? Go to discerningdad, youtube.com slash discerningdad, and you can watch all of these episodes. You get to see all our facial expressions, all our mannerisms, all our interactions in video form that you can't get in audio. And I would just appreciate a few more subscribers on there too. And for today's episode, I'm so excited to be talking to Aaron Schust. We have a great conversation starting right now. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. I am excited today. My guest is Aaron Schust. Aaron is a husband, a father, and a songwriter. He was named Songwriter and New Artist of the Year in 2007 for My Savior, My God. He has traveled the world to lead worship with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Aaron has a deep love for Israel, and his most recent release was a collaboration with Messianic Jewish artist Joshua Aaron, and is called The Mountain of the Lord. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tim. Great to be on. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Big fan of your work. And I've seen you recently on Instagram doing some lives. And I thought, wow, it'd be so cool to have you on. And so you were so gracious to accept. And here we are. So I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah, in this world of um this world of COVID at the past year, it's been it's been a paradigm shift, hopefully in a good direction. And even since then, um, when it comes to uh, looking at the way we live and the, and the way we choose to spend our time and what we choose to do, uh, you know, everything gets shifted, everything changes. And it just, it makes you, uh, there are some things you're forced to have to do differently. And there's some things that make you wonder, why have I always done it this way? And mm. so we've changed up some things, hopefully for the good over the past year. We'll see where it continues to lead us. Yeah. I think with how we spend our time was a big thing for last year for a lot of people is, you know, why do we do this? Why do we just constantly go in routines that kind of, you know, don't have any life to them. We just feel burned out by the end of the week. And once a lot of Mm -hmm. those activities were taken away, it's a good way to analyze, you know, time with family, time with God and, and kind of Mm -hmm. see what's left in the mix and what things we're going to keep going forward when we move into this uh, quote, new normal thing. Absolutely. Yeah. New normal is good. I never, I never want to return to the normal that was. Yeah, you know, even though in the moment I thought it was okay. Yeah, the new normal. Yeah, may it be better. Awesome. So I could have uh, said a lot more about your intro, but anything else you want to fill in about your family? Any other history or things you're working on now? Let's talk about my family. Uh, I've been married for 20 years. Is it 21? This will be. It'll be 21 this year. These are things awesome. I should know off the top of my head. <laughs> 21 coming up this year. I have three boys um, and they are fantastic. They're such good kids. You know, we joked about how um, before we went on air, how uh, uh, school started back up again and there's peace in the house. And yes, of course, when there's quiet in the houses, there's definitely quiet, but our, our boys are so good. So my oldest Daniel is 14. Um, and I forget, I forget that he's a teenager mm. because you know, the, all the stigma that comes with teenagers, he d- hasn't seemed to hit him yet. Um, <laughs> sweet boy, his voice hasn't even changed yet. I swear it's on the cusp any moment, any day now I'm going <laughs> to, there's going to be the sound of two men in the house. Yeah. Um, Nikki is my little warrior. He's uh, 12 years old and just a fierce, fierce boy. And then my youngest is nine, Michael, and he has down syndrome. And so that's, um, you know, talk about paradigm shifting when he was born. And we didn't see that coming. The diagnosis was not given to us in advance. And mm. uh, it was a shock uh, to realize that our lives as we perceived them to be uh, is, was about to be completely different for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, and we went through all the, um, I wouldn't say stages of grief, but just uh, like what just happened. And, and uh, even looking at the little boy that was in the hospital room with us thinking like, that's, that's not our boy. We had this image for nine months of what he would look like. And he didn't look like that, but boy, it just took a couple, a couple days for us to absolutely, if not earlier, I'll just be honest, um, to completely fall in love 
with that little boy and realize he is ours. He's a shoost boy. He needs help. He needs protection. He needs love. And we are absolutely the ones to give it to him. Mm. Uh, and he's just changed the way. I never could have imagined the, the dynamic on our family being what it is. I, and when I think of, uh, you know, the word we've had to use, a, we had to learn a whole new uh, vocabulary um, when it comes to referring to children with special needs and people with special needs. And, and so as opposed to the word normal, the word typical is used and he's not a typical child. Uh, yeah. He's atypical in that sense. And I cannot fathom having three typical children in our in our home it, it seems like it and this is not um speaking against anybody else who has three typical children or more but it would just seem so boring to me because it's so exciting with a, with a very atypical child yeah. and all of the um all of the the stresses that happened because of um him and his issues but also all of the joys that would never have happened otherwise um we learn so much about ourselves and our relationship to the father because of his special needs yeah and uh, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. That's awesome. I know a lot of families of foster, including my own sister. And it's a similar thing where, you know, all the struggles and trials and you're like, why did I sign up for this? And you remind yourself, right. well, I'm bringing love into this person's life that would have never had mm -hmm. it or, you know, experience it. And so it's such a good thing you bring up is that, you know, we can get caught up in our own mental idea of what things should look like, but God gives us a gift sometime of trials. And through that comes a beauty of a refining that uh, we wouldn't find uh, without it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a stripping away of selfishness yeah. uh, for sure. Just, you know, layer by layer. Um, and, uh, but it's a beautiful thing when you, <laughs> we're, by nature, we're not selfless. So when we find ourselves in situations where we're forced into selflessness, um, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So how long have you been a Christian? What was your childhood like and, and growing up in, with your family? I grew up in a Christian home and um, made a decision at a very young age to follow Jesus, to accept him as my savior. Uh, I remember distinctly, I was, I was four. It was one month before my fifth birthday. It was on my mom's spiritual birthday. <laughs> I'm sorry, on my mom's physical birthday, biological birthday was my spiritual birthday. There we go. Gotcha. And uh, so September 30th, 1980, I guess it was right before I turned five. And um, I remember distinctly laying in my bed uh, at night before bedtime, laying on my stomach, looking at my red and white polka dot pillow and crying because she had explained to me that we all people are sinners. Mm. And the, I mean, she basically walked me down a very ch childlike road of the Romans road and that the wages, the payment for sin is death and separation from God. And that's um, that's what a place we call hell. And if, unless you, but it's, you know, if you confess your sins, if you just say you're sorry, he is faithful. God is faithful. He's just, and he will forgive you. And I was crying because I didn't want, I didn't want to go to hell. And it's, you know, some people might criticize that approach of fear. Um, but you know what? I believe it's truth. And I believe that we need Jesus and we need to uh, accept the fact that we are not perfect, but he was perfect. And even though she didn't use the word substitutionary atonement when I was four, <laughs> almost five, she explained my need for a savior. Yeah. Um, and I also like fast forward to being nine years old. I remember a moment on summer vacation, just kind of walking through the house. Again, I, I can picture everything and thinking to myself, surely I had no clue what I was talking about when I was four. Mm. God, I mean it. I really want to follow you. Mm. I want to, I want to depend on you. I need you. Um, and I did it again when I was uh, 13, um, listening at church one Sunday night, listening to a lot of the high schoolers older than me, giving their testimony. It was, it was senior high testimony night. Mm. And they all kind of fell into the same category of, of a word that I hadn't heard before called backsliding. Mm. And they all had made bad decisions. And they all were slipping away from making those good decisions and following Jesus. And there was a, there was a, a degree of guilt that was in their um that was in their hearts and in their, in their speech that, yeah. that makes me sad to this day. Cause it, there was no, there seemed to be no redeeming end to the story. Like oh, I'm, I'm doing bad things. I'm sorry. Shoot. And then they'd walk <laughs> down and the next person would walk up. Uh, but I remember having this fear, like, Oh my word, that's what happens to people when they go to high school. That's what's next. <laughs> and, and from where I was sitting in the balcony, cause I was the volunteer sound person that night. Um, as a 13 year old, uh, was just like, God, don't let that happen to me. Keep mm -hmm. me on the straight and narrow, whatever, whatever needs to happen. Yeah. And so, um, I'm not saying I'm perfect. You can ask my family members. Um, but, uh, it's, it's been a lifelong pursuit to follow him.
That's awesome. And it's, it's a good reminder as Jesus called it, you know, have childlike faith. And a lot of times we, we think that means blind faith, but it doesn't mean blind faith. It just means faith in something, in someone, Jesus, and that, you know, it's not wrong to have knowledge, but a lot of times when you get older in life, you want all the knowledge before you have faith, but that's not what faith is. Faith means Faith bridges the gap between what we know and what God knows, which is mm-hmm. a bigger gap for some than others, depending on how much you know, but it's still a big gap. And so we have to have that faith in God. And so, but children can just kind of accept it. And it's so beautiful when they do that, mm-hmm. because it reminds yourself like, oh man, all the doubts I have, all the things that I question, you know, I just need to trust God. If I, if I truly believe in God, then I will trust, even if I don't have all, all the answers, which none of us do. Right. And that's something that I've been singing since I started, um, since I started making music and recording music and was that, that song based on that old hymn from the 1850s. Uh, I am not skilled to understand. And that's mm. such a, that's such a, a great starting point to be able to be like, I don't understand what, what you're doing. Yeah. God, I don't understand. I don't claim to be able to grasp all of your ways. Isaiah 55, his ways are higher. Yeah. His thoughts are higher, but to say that I, I trust you, the word faith, uh, there's a couple Bible translations that translate the word faith, trust, I love that um, because it seems to um, it seems to be a step of action. I feel like uh, there's so many Hollywood movies that just um, use th- throw the word faith around as if it's completely arbitrary and mindless. Just like just yeah. have faith. I always yell at the screen, "Faith in what? Right? Faith in what? Faith that? I mean, no one they never finish that. So they just have faith. Like that's yeah. enough to say that sentence. But to have faith that God is in control, that He is sovereign, to have faith that He is good. Yeah. Um, that he has a plan and it's perfect. That's what, do we have faith in that? Well, mo- a lot of people would say, well, no, I don't have faith in that. Mm. I just have faith that everything's going to work out. All right. I guess that's <laughs> yeah. not faith. That's not trust. No. So. so when did you get involved in uh, the music industry? You know, how, how, when did you know that you liked to sing? Were, were you a, uh, singing as a kid or when was that kind of catapult point for you? It was around the same time when I was uh, four that my mom, she was in, it was a small church, but uh, she was in charge of the music. And so I think whenever there was a, uh, a, a gap in the scheduling, she put her kid up on stage. Yeah. So I was four years old one Sunday night where she, uh, we, you know, we practiced the song at home. It was give, give it all to Jesus. Give, yeah. Give them all is what it was called. Mm. Shattered dreams, wounded hearts and broken toys. Uh, <laughs> give the, and he will turn your sorrow into joy. And I sang that. And so um, the idea of growing up in church surrounded by music was were, were my two, um, the two things that, that helped define me and made me me, you know, singing in the choir, kids choir, adult choir, eventually taking piano lessons. And so I'd play offertories every once in a while. I majored in uh, music education, high school, choral music in college. Uh, but took a job at a church after I graduated, a, a Presbyterian church, a PCA church in Atlanta, Georgia. And I, uh, in between college and that job, I kind of started a band um, in the in town in Georgia. So I grew up in Pennsylvania, but I moved to to Georgia, North Georgia, for college. Stayed there for a few years. And so it, interesting because like all of the experience that I um, I learned with my band and even with the, like one of the singing teams at the school at traveling around. So between like traveling and setting up and tearing down and performing at church every night, which that those are the mundane things about that. But there was also something very spiritual and very uh, important about taking the stage night after night after night and ministering to people and mm-hmm. singing songs about God and singing songs to God. Um, the spirit of God would not let me uh, get up on stage if I had not made things right with my co-band members or my co, you know, and there was always some kind of conflict somewhere because we're more than one people are gathered. There's going to be conflict, right? Yeah. So, but man, I, I countless times I remember walking up to people before we took the stage being like, Hey, I'm sorry about mm-hmm. today. I'm sorry. What I said, I'm sorry for getting angry. Uh, forgive mm-hmm. me. Um, and even if we didn't come to complete resolution, we walked on stage as, as broken humans together. Uh, and I didn't feel like a hypocrite as I <laughs> led people in worship. Mm. Um, and so that kind of, that led to uh, le- uh, leading worship at a church in Atlanta. And I started writing songs for offertories and I started writing songs with the desire, with the hope that we could sing them together as a congregation. And that eventually led to a recording um, in somebody's basement. Um, Mike Seamus, who was one of the guitar players, built a studio in his basement, asked me if I would come record some of these songs 
one thing led to another. We weren't pushing. We weren't shopping. I wasn't. People were kindly doing it behind my back, shopping this album that we made yeah. to some record labels, um, which is a great way to do it. You know, I, I didn't have to deal with all the firsthand rejection. I was yeah. just busy doing what God had on my plate for then and, and there. Yeah. Uh, and then the doors that opened, I, I heard about, uh, started making some, some music in other ways as well. That was before social media. So it was probably even harder back then to hustle and try to get your name out there, but you had people doing it for you, which was awesome. And so was that kind of a shock, you know, when, how, how much was that before 2007 when it kind of took off? Yeah, that was 2004. Okay. Um, so it was definitely before social media, but because social media didn't exist, we didn't know it was hard. Yeah. Um, just what you knew, right? And, and while I love social media, um, or at least I can say, I appreciate the benefits of social media. It also has a dark side as well. Oh yeah. So, um, just t- talking to my 14 year old about that this morning. So balance and discernment and yeah. wisdom that comes into play there as well. Uh, it was definitely a shock to find out, um, when I got the phone call from my friend that, Hey, there's a record label, um, that is interested in signing you. They like this album and they would like to, uh, you know, buy the album and, and, and release it nationally. I was like, really tell me about this. And mm. it was a, a small record label based in Atlanta where I was living. They were not believers, not a Christian record label. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I checked out their website and it confirmed that they were not believers. <laughs> and I just wondered if, if there weren't other, uh, like if there weren't a Christian label that might, you know, up in Nashville where I live now that might be interested in this. And that's when they broke the news to me like, well, we've actually been shopping it to all of the labels in Nashville and nobody's interested. <laughs> I said, mm-hmm. well, these guys sound great. Let's go with them. Yeah. And uh, began a five-year relationship with them. We made three albums and uh, they became some dear friends. And I was able to share life with them and share my beliefs. And uh, there were a couple conversations that were interesting. Like, so do you play in, are you going to play like in bars and clubs? Like, no, there's, there's, um, there's <laughs> churches that, that invite people in. There's conferences that need people to lead worship. And so it was an education for them as well. And we kind of learned together what we were doing. Uh, and after five years, we uh, we parted ways, and I, I did sign with the Christian record label in in Nashville and stayed with them for eight years, and made uh, made five albums with Centricity. That's so cool. And so, and then two years ago, I went independent. So, been making and one one full album and a couple singles since then, independently. Awesome. That's so cool. God can use you in in a spot when you think you have to be surrounded by just Christians, and but God can use you whether you're in a job or a place in your life when you aren't, you know, around the save that, but you're, you're called to be the light there. And uh, right. that's what I've seen in my life too, is, you know, well, God, to I their, feel, yeah, please, please continue. Sorry. No, I was just saying, you know, I've been in the business world for over 20 years. And a lot of that was uh, me saying to God, well, what am I supposed to do here? And God really revealed it to me. Like, well, you're the, you're why I have you there. You know, you need to pray for these people. You need to intercede on their behalf. You need to be, you know, not just preaching to them, but actually loving them. And, uh, you know, he did call me out of that to full-time ministry, but it wasn't until I actually had that, uh, that knowledge change in my, that shift in my thinking where, you know, you don't have to be in full-time ministry to do ministry. We all have a ministry and it's, it's an important realization. True true words haven't been said. Uh, I was going to say to, to, and that ties in with what you just said, um, to, the first record label brash to their credit, they never demanded that I um, water down my theology and my truth. As a matter of fact, the third record that I made with them called take over uh, the single that went to radio was, was called to God alone, be the glory. Mm. Everything I say and do, let it be all for you. The glory is yours alone. And when I play that in concert, I I love to reference the Colossians three 23 and things. First Corinthians 10 31 that talk about whatever we do do to the glory of God working unto the Lord. And I, I tell the story about Bach and, uh, and Handel and some of those composers that would sign their compositions with SDG, Soli Deo Gloria. To, mm. So not their own initials, but these same three letters, to God alone be wow. the glory. And they weren't even writing songs for the church necessarily. They were writing songs for coronation ceremonies and fireworks displays and big events like that. Yeah. But in their mind, no matter what they do, it's for the glory, the positive attention of God. Yeah. Love that. Haven't heard that before. That's so cool. Let's move in to get to know you a little bit with some icebreakers here. So I uh, love asking my guests what your favorite movie of all time is. Favorite movie of all time. I think I think it's Gladiator. Mm. Um, I, I've always loved the, the Roman era. And especially when you combine that with the stories in the, in the New Testament, um, uh, there's, there's something so 
I mean, when, with the more you read about the Roman Empire, the more you realize how horrible yeah, it was right. and, and how mm-hmm. um, epically bad it was. Uh, but this this story of, of Gladiator, uh, which is completely fictionalized, except for a couple of people like Commodus and Marcus Aurelius, who were true historical people. Yeah, uh, It's so inspiring. Inspiring um, to to have this this moral character this this with a moral center who uh, he's uh, who tries to, he's put in this horrible position um, uh, and yet he wants to execute the will of uh, Caesar the dying the wishes of the of a dying man uh, no matter what the cost it costs yeah. him his life spoiler alert it's been twenty one years <laughs> it costs him his life um, but he's willing to do what's right. Yeah. And uh, I love that. And then, of course the music with Hans Zimmer is spectacular. And so that probably, that's probably my number one movie. Yeah. That's a favorite for mine too. Also, you know, same type of theme has been her, you know, it's more of a classic, but it's another mm-hmm. one where someone who, you know, kind of had a r- realization that, Hey, what we're doing is wrong. And, you know, had be- was betrayed and had to work his way back and very similar story, but yeah. that's cool. a fantastic book, by the way, I read that a couple of years ago. Really? Uh, oh, cool. I never read that one. Mid uh, American author, mid 1800s, written as a tool for evangelism. That was his goal. Oh wow! Um, and so, uh, but he he spins this story of a of a fictional character around the life of Jesus. It's pretty yeah. amazing. Awesome. So, if you could meet anyone alive or dead, who would it be and why? Dead or alive? I think probably should go with dead. Let's see. Although my, uh, I'm always on a constant search to remind myself um, that this world is eternal. And there are some people who have passed on that I, I know I will meet one day, whether it's the Apostle Paul or Daniel. Mm-hmm. Daniel seems, uh, the, the prophet Daniel seems to be the most upright character in all of the Bible besides Jesus himself. Yeah. Um, everyone else seems to have these, um, these faults that were exposed. And I'm sure Daniel was not perfect, but his faults seemed to be hidden. Um, I, would, uh, I would like to sit down with Daniel. He experienced so much taken away from his home into exile, but, but shown favor. He, yeah. he stuck to what he knew uh, and what he was taught as a child. Um, and, and was shown favor for that, even though it went against the grain, Yeah, you know, and God revealed to him some crazy things and some visions that he records in the latter half of the book, um, that I would, I would love to pick his brain on. So let, let's go with, let's go with Daniel. Yeah. Ask him that one part where he says, uh, you're not allowed to say what it was. The angel told him something and he wasn't <laughs> right, able to write right, it down. Yeah, what it was that? What was end. that thing? Tell, tell me. me. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, what about, uh, I usually do a favorite author, but since uh, you're in the music industry, what about a favorite uh, artist that you like listening to yourself? Let's see. I'll tell you what, the past couple of years, I've uh, developed some friendships. There's something about meeting somebody. So maybe maybe just in, in, the, in a general sense, when you go to somebody's concert and maybe you stand in line at the end and you get a chance to connect with them, yeah. all of a sudden your love for their music skyrockets. And so being a, being an artist, we rub shoulders with some other artists every once in a while, whether it's on a tour or a festival or, or a writing session. I reached out to, um, and you already mentioned his name earlier, I reached out to Joshua Aaron a few years ago. Because my family, after a trip to, uh, my wife and I took a trip to Israel, and I've gone back a couple times since then. Uh, we're just overwhelmed with the idea of keeping the Sabbath. And we can maybe talk about more of this later as we as we go along. Um, but we decided, let's try this thing. Let's let's try the whole Friday night to Saturday night Sabbath. We're, we're not Jewish. We're not Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, we go to church on Sunday, but Sometimes Sunday can be very, very busy and exhausting and full of work, especially when you're in ministry. So maybe a day of rest um, when God said to have the day of rest might be an idea. And so, you know, I don't want to necessarily get into the debate of, well, Sunday replaced Saturday and Paul said this and yada, yada. Uh, But we decided to, to try it. And so... I'm I'm a creature of if we're going to do something we need a good playlist for it whether mm-hmm. it's uh whether it's celebrating Christmas or celebrating March coming up soon here where we pull out all the Celtic music possible and just enjoy <laughs> the green of March. Yeah. Um we we I put together a playlist for um the Sabbath and I was having a hard time finding anything beyond Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> and so um I started just doing Google searches and Apple music searches and I found this guy Joshua Aaron. Um, who is, uh, uh, you know, he was in his upper thirties at the time, a few years ago, he's a couple of years younger than me and um, messianic Jewish and writing songs of worship that we just 
uh, primarily based on words from the Old Testament, but also New Testament as well. He loves Jesus, calls him by his Hebrew name, Yeshua. Mm-hmm. And, and we started adding a lot of his music to our playlist. And I reached out to him and developed a friendship. And we've done uh, a lot of work together, concerts and traveling and touring and even recording some. Uh, but his music is so pure and it's based on scriptures. So Joshua Aaron is his name. And I'll add this, but through his, through friendship with Joshua, I became familiar with a band um, named Maketum, which is Hebrew for, from, from the East. Okay. Hebrew four from the East. And they, uh, they sing completely in Hebrew and they sing only lyrics from the Bible, mainly mm. the Psalms, occasionally songs from Isaiah, Song of Solomon, yeah. but they take like, directly from scripture and sing it in Hebrew. And the music is fantastic. It's brilliant. It's fun. Nice. Uh, it feels Middle Eastern. So uh, Maketum is M-I-Q-E-D-E-M. Love oh, wow. Maketum. Okay. I'll have to and, check uh, that out. Joshua Aaron. Reminds me of Sons of Korah. They used to sing just the Psalms and... Uh... I used to yes. listen to them and uh, cool. I, I loved your mountain of the Lord song. I listened to it recently and it reminded me a lot of, I listened to Paul Wilbur a lot and yes. um, yeah. he's Uncle someone Paul. too that uh, I met at a, at a concert and have a picture. My son has a picture in his room of me and him and nice. Um, love, his, love his music. Yeah. He's great. This podcast is part of the edify podcast network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Cool. So let's move into uh, the questions I ask all my guests about a time you had godly discernment in your life, a decision that you were maybe facing and kind of what you learned from it, how you knew it was God leading you in that direction. And then we'll talk about a time that uh, you didn't have godly discernment and kind of what you learned from it. Great. So we might start with the, uh, the, the, the good decision. Sure. If you'd like. Sure. Let's do that one. I was thinking about this and um, this one, maybe, you know, the, the, the jury is out. I'll start with this. When I was leading worship, um, cause to, to help explain my, my, my worldview on, on making good decisions and, and discernment when I was, uh, leading worship at the church perimeter Presbyterian church, perimeter church in Atlanta, our pastor, Randy Pope said something that, um, that I've never forgotten. I've uh, visited this wisdom, I believe, uh, often he said, you, you can never be out of God's will, but you can be out of God's wisdom. Mm. And, and I think that the situation, the, the context of that is so many, I was in my young twenties when I heard this and so many of my, my friends and peers were not married yet. I got married at 24 and um, I might've been a couple of years married whenever I heard this, but the, one of the biggest worries was, Oh, I'm so afraid of making a decision that's out of God's will. Yeah. Uh, and whether that's about who to date or who to marry or what job to take or where to live or what to do. Um, I think the, the Presbyterian view of the doctrines of grace and the sovereignty of God is very strong. And his um, and anything that elevates God and lowers man is something worth considering. And I, as opposed to the opposite of elevating man and, and lowering God. And yeah. he said, you, we're not strong enough to be out of God's will, but we can make unwise decisions. Yeah. Um, and that gave me such peace to know like, Hey, I'm going to do my human best <laughs> to make wise decisions based on what I believe is in accordance with God's will, reading the Proverbs, reading the stories of the Bible and finding out what was um, uh, esteemed by God when men took action and what was considered a bad idea by God when men took action. That's using wisdom. And then you move uh, forward without fear, knowing that we're not strong enough to be out of God's will, God's permissive will, God's perfect plan. So uh, whether it's, you know, dating or marrying someone, you, you, you might not know whether it's you know, the right person, (laughs) but are you the right person? You know, are you going to love that person? Well, are you going to be selfless? So uh, that's the perspective of that. I think um, to, to use an example of what I believe was a a good decision most recently is uh, just a few years ago when we were living in Pennsylvania, we'd moved from Atlanta and I could fast forward through all the places that we thought we might live. And um, we moved back to Pennsylvania. I remember a friend whenever I told him we're going to be moving to, uh, to Pittsburgh from Atlanta, he said, well, that is a sentence I've never heard before. <laughs> I've never heard anybody <laughs> say out loud, we're moving to Pittsburgh. And I think there's, 
there's uh, sometimes, not always, but sometimes the decisions that we make that seem to go against conventional wisdom. Yeah. Um, when you feel a prompting to do something like that, that fits into that category, I'm just like, well, wouldn't that just be like God to call yeah. us to a place that no one's ever said out loud? I think we should move to Pittsburgh. <laughs> and it was absolutely the right call. Now in my, in our hearts, my wife and I, and my kids as well, we were ready to live there for the rest of our days. We felt very much at peace and I'll categorize that as contentment. And yet there did come a moment where we felt we needed to move to Tennessee, to Nashville, Tennessee, where I had been working since 2005 and said, I would never live here. Mm. So there's another example of whenever we feel led in a certain direction to do something that seems counterintuitive to our personal desires. Yeah. Well, maybe there's something to this. Maybe God's calling this, calling us to this. God gave my wife a, a dream that we would live here mm. and it felt right. And she sat on that for a month by herself and prayed about it before she told me about it. She said, sit down, <laughs> let me finish this before you say anything. Yeah. And Tim, there was such a peace in my heart about something that I had never thought about doing, mm -hmm. let alone, well, actually I'd said that I would never do it. The idea of actually considering it seriously never crossed my mind. And yet there was an immediate peace. Uh, and I take that as a, as an indication as a, a you know, uh, the needle is now tipping in this direction. God, I said, I would never do this, but you just gave me a piece about it. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to leave, um, the school systems and the church and the friends and the, the things that we've established here. My youngest boy had 18 specialists mm. in the hospital system. So relocating all of those and getting new ones in a, in a new city, that's a lot of work. Yeah. But God was calling us to something that didn't make sense. And we felt a peace about it. So we had to answer the questions over and over again. Why are you moving to Nashville? With the answer, we don't know. <laughs> oh, is it because you're in music? Honestly, I wish that'd be a really easy answer if I could just say yes and we could yeah. move on. But that's not why. I have yeah. no clue why. It might not be about music at all. Right. Um, and little confirmations just in the past four and a half years that, wow, this is so much a part of our life now. Uh, whatever it might be, my love for Israel mm -hmm. uh, and my love for the Jewish people and my support of them, my prayer for them and the relationships that I have with them and some of the songs that I've written never would have happened had we stayed in Pittsburgh because of relationships that we made. Mm. And that's, now I'm not saying that's the reason, but I'm, I am acknowledging that those things wouldn't have happened otherwise. So I'm, um, I, I'd like to believe that that was a moment for discernment. Yeah. That was a moment to, to listen uh, to the whispers of the Holy Spirit that yeah. said, peace. That's peace. so good. And there's so many good things we can learn from that example about just taking time to listen, you know, being in collaboration with your spouse and then moving where peace leads you because, you know, God is, will give us, you know, discernment that is usually preceded by peace. And even if it doesn't make sense to the world, when they asked you, why are you doing this? You're like, well, I don't know, because God tells me to. So many decisions that are of God will be the, what is foolish to the world's wisdom. And so that's a good example. And I love what you said too, about, you know, a lot of times we might feel that we're out of God's permissive will, if you will. But, you know, you look at the story of Jonah and God still had his way for the people of Nineveh. Now, granted, Jonah took the long route to get there and we can bring upon ourselves because of free will, a lot of hardship that is uh, unneeded and unwarranted, but God at the end yes. of the day will still have his way in our life. And even if it's through kicking and screaming and, um, you know, and, and jo I love Jonah, he just, God must've been so happy to have him around when he was cursing them cursing himself and everything after the fact and it but you see after you four, see parallels right? with with what we do a lot of times and what jonah did is we run from god and we say no i'm not doing that and we find ourselves five years later doing the very thing that we said we wouldn't do well look at chapter four with jonah jonah had incorrectly discerned that god was going to execute judgment yeah and he pulled up a front row seat took we out a snack yeah took out some popcorn and was ready for it yeah and um and that wasn't God's will. He had discerned incorrectly. And I think that's something, uh, talk about a lesson to be learned and caution. When I think of the word discernment, a couple, couple things can come to mind. What we, you know, what we think it means, what it might mean, what people have used it to mean. I feel like it's often used um, uh, as, it would never be said as a weapon, but like, boy, I'm just, you know, <laughs> I'm always, I always have to stifle the laugh when people tell me that they're discerning. Mm. 
like, I feel like that's, um, that's like saying I'm, I'm, well, you know, God's blessed me with wisdom or God's God's blessed me with beauty, or I have a fantastic <laughs> voice. It's like, you know what? That's, it's a positive thing. Maybe you shouldn't speak about how discerning you are because that usually precedes. Here's what I see in you. Yeah. And here's what you need to fix. Yeah. Uh, and, and you have to listen to me because I'm discerning. Mm. Like I want to, I want to point that finger back to myself. And if I'm discerning, let it be about the the repair that needs to happen in my own life and my yeah. own soul. Oof, that's good. Um, and the, if I if I keep on repairing myself, then everybody else is going to be happier to be around me. I would like to think. Yeah. Um, and and you know what? If 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 you really feel like the people that you're around need to change, a combination of demonstrate demonstrating good behavior and praying that the spirit would convict them, yeah. that the spirit would speak words to them, and that they could discern what needs to be done. Yeah, Billy so Graham, going back to him, always said it's the it's the it's God's job to judge the Father. Um, I my interpret that's love, what he right? meant. Yeah, the spirit's job to convict, and my job to love. My job, Our job yeah, to love. I love that. That's so good. So yeah, th- th- I think that might segue into my bad decision. Are you ready for that? Yeah, let's, let's do it. End on the bad decision. Yeah. Um, I-, I labored through this. I think um, one of one of the things that I'm learning, and this this did bring up the story that I will tell, is that uh, I'm learning, I'm discerning uh, when to speak and when not to speak. Mm. I am uh, historically an oversharer, mm-hmm. um, and as I'm thinking about what story. I could tell about uh, a, a foolish decision and I, I could, I could regale you for hours with foolish decisions that I've made. Oh, this one time I did this, this one time I ran a red light. Like that's, I don't think that's what we're talking about when we're talking yeah. about discernment. Um, so I need to a discern what dirty laundry I air right now, what's important to say and what's not important. And then, and then I'm, it's easy for me to come up with all the stories of, of lack of discernment but I need to be careful what I share right sure. right now. Yeah. Um, some things are, are, they're covered. They're, they're, they're forgiven. They're under the blood, but there, but there are things to learn. I think of when I was a young worship leader, um, probably 25, 26, I had just started writing some of these songs that we discussed earlier. And one of the other worship leaders at our church, he was, he was, I think at the time he was my boss. He was much, much older than me. He was 45 years old. I'm 45 years old right now. So, but when I was telling, when I'm telling the story, I was 25 years old. So he was 20 years older than me. And obviously he knew nothing, right? Because right, right, he's, right. he's, he's the previous generation. God forgive me. <laughs> um, but he was so um, sweet about wanting to play one of my songs. And so the, it was the weekend that he was on as a worship leader. I was not. And, uh, and he learned the song, taught it to the band that was a, you know, a unique band for him for that week. And I came in at rehearsal and I listened to it and Tim, I'll admit that I was horrified by what I heard. Mm. It was the, the wrong key. It was the wrong speed. It was the wrong production. There were instruments being used that I never would have used in a million years, mm. harmonies that were sung that I never would have uh, endorsed. And I, I walked home a little crestfallen. And um, in the the weekend came and went and we had three services and the Monday morning debrief meeting happened in the conference room. And um, the open question was, was given, you know, how, what do we think? Anybody have any thoughts, any, any constructive criticism, any things we should change? We're always about, you know, improving, improving and tweaking. And I sat there for, I don't know how long, not too long with this feeling. And here we get, we're getting into it with this feeling of, I have to say something. Mm. for the for the betterment of our team i have to say something and i said something and i said the words i was embarrassed it was true and in that moment you might have said i'm discerning that i have to speak the truth yeah you know my kids watched the charlie brown movie a lot the the, the new cartoon that came out and uh, i think peppermint patty standing on marcy's head and she says you're hurting me sir and she had just said something cruel and she's like, I'm sorry, but it's true. Like, no, you're really hurting me because she's standing on her head. Yeah. Um, and I think we often take that position and I took that position and I'm sorry, but it's true. It embarrassed me. And that's mm. not, and, um, and I could tell he was embarrassed in the moment and he was kind in the moment and did not lash out, but he did pull me aside later on and said, Aaron, you, you hurt my feelings when you said what you said, when you said it and what, um, 
what could have been done, man, he just came alongside me like such a beautiful patient mentor. Mm -hmm. He said, you could have taken me aside in a different, instead of a conference room full of 15 people and told me that, um, that, that it it embarrassed you and we could have discussed this. Um, and, uh, man, I think of that often with regret in my heart. And, um, this, this individual went on to do many great things and say many, many words of wisdom that I've, I've kept. Um, but because this story is, didn't present him in a flattering light, I won't mention his name. Um, but it's, it's more about me and my, uh, my, I was not discerning to keep my, my, hold my tongue Yeah. in that moment. I thought this needs to be said, this needs to be, it, no, it, it didn't maybe not in that, um, theater, uh, maybe not at all. Maybe yeah. that was just my pride that was hurt yeah. and I needed to swallow that pride. Um, and I, I, I ran somebody over, man, you know, yeah. uh, and I did it with gentleness. And I did it with, with respect, Yeah. but I should have kept my mouth shut. It's it, that's such a good example. Thank you for sharing. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we're called to, to bring the gospel or just our words with truth and love. And we could be true for days, but if we don't mix it with love and it was such a good teachable moment, I had a similar thing. I'm not going to go into in my career where I did a very similar thing. And, and that's why I put a chapter in my book discernment with our words, because, you know, it's all about what James talks about, you know, and, and I tell my son, you know, once you, once your words come out of your mouth, you can't put them back in your mouth. You can try to repair the damage, but a lot of times that that's too, it's too late. And you can do the best you can and learn from it and move on. But having to serve. And you can be, you can be humble and say, I'm sorry. And please forgive me. You can cry, but that person carries that with them for the rest of their lives. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I want to move on here. We don't have too much time left, but uh, I want to give you a chance to talk about the Sabbath and and why that's been important to you and kind of what lessons we can take into our lives as Christians and, and really how it was, you know, it's not for, and I'll just, I'll start, you know, I, I, we've started to do that as well. And it's not, Mm. we don't do it for our salvation. We don't do it because it's a rule we have to follow. God gave us a Sabbath for, for man, you know, and and Jesus said, you know, Sabbath is, is, is for man because there is a benefit in resting, you know, and God knows what, what man needs and why it's important to us. And so there is a benefit that is for physically, spiritually, emotionally, when you do take a Sabbath. And so if you want to just expand upon that. Yeah, I think if you would have asked me five years ago, I would have said, you know what, I do Sabbath on Sunday. So, you know, I rest, I watch some football, um, take a little nap. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's something that's so much more powerful about doing it with, um, well, you know, the, the keepers of the book and the keepers of the Sabbath, uh, the Jewish people, and especially as I've developed a relationship with, with them, knowing that they are moving into the Sabbath. And I've I've read some incredible books on the Sabbath, and I've, I've definitely read some things from uh, from people who I respect theologically who say, "No, that's that's abolished. We don't have to do that anymore." You know, the, the disciples started meeting on Sunday, and and there's a couple of verses in the New Testament that may indicate that, but um, there's also some really, really um, scholarly uh, work done saying, "No," when it says. When it says after the Sabbath, we're still talking about Saturday night because we can go to Genesis. Uh, you know, the first there was night, then there was day. I don't want to get into the you know nitpicking. Here's here's my thought. Even if um, even if it were proven to me at this point that I didn't have to, that it's not. And I agree with you. It's not a salvific regulation. Yeah. Um, uh, it has been the number one blessing in our family, to our family, for our family in the last few years, there are still moments where I have to hop on a plane on the weekend because that's when concerts and conferences seem to happen. Right. Um, and I will say that when that's the case, I, I grieve leaving. I grieve the lack of rest. It's not about taking a nap on Sunday. It's not about taking a nap on Saturday. Right. It's about moving into sacred time. Mm. And, uh, and acknowledging that time, knowing that people all around the world are remembering their creator and remembering yeah. that he is the provider and to cease from our regular work and to cease from our regular conversations. And we pick up on a lot of things that have been, um, that are Jewish traditions, uh, whether it's 
the lighting of the candles or the making of the challah bread. It's a celebration. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, but the idea that there's no fasting. If you're in the middle of a fast, you stop mm. and you celebrate the Sabbath. Um, it, not talking about the future, not planning. We catch ourselves all the time, um, you know, Saturday afternoon. So, hey, so next week I'm going to like, uh, uh, no planning on the Sabbath. And it's just <laughs> free to be like, you know what? I'm just going to live in this moment. Let's go outside because the sun's out. Let's stay inside and rest because it's raining, yeah. uh, but let's just rest. And it is food for our souls. I, I'll, I'll close with this. Um, we recently learned that why the Sabbath is considered 25 hours, not 24, because mm. it starts at sunset and it ends when you see the third star in the sky on Saturday night. Mm. Like, and I, I was like, okay, that's cool. But why? I don't know. Um, and it was, it was Abraham Heschel who uh, wrote this book called Sabbath in the 1950s, I believe. Um, and he said, just like when you invite a guest over for dinner, you um, you delay their exit because you want to linger just a little bit longer. Wow. You don't want them to leave. In the same way, we fill that with the Sabbath. We just linger a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, and we have the little, um, the separation service, uh, ser- excuse me, ceremony at the end, just a couple minutes where we light a candle and pray some prayers in the uh, in this um, this Jewish prayer book that was uh, given to me by a friend. Um, and it's just basically some prayers from the Psalms that are very, uh, like, you know, uh, one's blessed. This is not from the Psalms, but blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who separates between uh, what is holy and what is common, between lightness, between light and darkness, between holy and common. Mm, and that's how it, that. I'm sorry, forgive me. Yes, yes, holy, exactly. Holy and common. And that day feels so holy, set apart. Um, so I'll just my personal testimony. It's been so, so good. What's a book soul. you would recommend if someone's listening to this and wants to know more about the Sabbath? I think the, um, I'm, I'm reading another one right now. I've just started. So uh, I'll give a half endorsement. Um, it's called Sabbath to Sabbath. I'm forgetting the name of the author. It's downstairs right now. Otherwise I would grab it. But the one I did mention, um, Abraham Heschel, um, he's a J- Jewish rabbi. I believe this is the first book he wrote after he learned the English language. Mm. And it puts us all to shame. <laughs> it's it's, it's <laughs> beautifully written. It's yeah. And it's one of those things that anyone listening, you know, our first response can be, well, I don't have time for that, or I don't have to do that. And and like you're saying, you know, you don't have to, but why not consider it if there is a benefit to it? And if God instructed us to, you know, in not a, in not a, a rule following way, but seeing the benefit of it and hearing your story, I would just encourage people to have an open mind and to not start it tomorrow, but start to read about it, learn about it, pray about it, ask God, you know, I would like to do this and let God open those doors in your life. You know, you think your Saturday's completely packed. I used to be in a job where I worked Saturdays and now I don't, you know, and God can transition you into a new phase of your life where you have an appreciation for the Sabbath. And then he can show you the benefit to your spirit and to the connection that you can get with God if you start observing it. So I would leave Amen. people with that. And then um, just give you a real quick chance to talk about your love for Israel, kind of how Christians can have God's heart for Israel today and pray for the salvation of the Jews who do not yet know Jesus. In your song, Zion, you talk about, you declare the promises of God for his people. So just mm-hmm. talk real quick about, you know, God's promises for Israel, you know, Christians who come into a lot of different theologies about Israel. We're not going to go into, but just, you know, what would you say along the subject of Israel? I think my heart began to blossom for Israel. When I first visited in 2016, January, I was on a, I was getting ready for the Caleb Bible tour. And so myself and Blanca went um, with a few other people and, and uh, I met a friend, his a dear friend, uh, David Kern. He was one of the uh, cameramen. He's sitting in the back of the uh, little tour bus and while the tour guide would finish with, and the tour guide was not a believer in Jesus, um, but a great tour guide, a Jewish man named Amir, and he would give us all fantastic, you know, you know, this, if you look over here, you'll see this, look over here, you see that, this is where this happened. Um, and every time he would finish his little blurb on the little CB, um, my friend David, my new friend David would lean forward and whisper to my wife and myself, no, what he didn't tell you is that it actually says, for example, in the book of Jeremiah, that 
in the last days, the hills of Judea and Samaria will once again burst forth with life and flow with wine. And, and that's why there's these vineyards all over Judea and Samaria that just took root a few years ago. And this wow. is prophecy fulfilled. That's just one example, yeah. example after example. And so he actually gave me a list of, of verses that talk about the return of uh, the Jewish people in the last days to their land. And then eventually uh, to the heart of God, as we read about with the, the story of the, the, the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel yeah. 37. Um, and I just went home and I, I thought, I need to read my Bible again. I've read it before, cover to cover, a couple of times. I had to do it in Bible college. I've done it once since then, volitionally. Let's do it again. And I, I was just, I was underlining all new verses. And I was just blown away by the truth that I had somehow missed in previous readings. Um, and it led to the song Zion, just the recounting of the promises of God, kind of in chronological order, starting with um, Genesis 12 to Abraham. I will make you a blessing. You'll be a great nation. I will give you this land. I'll bring you back home. I, I will scatter you, but I will gather you again in the last days. And um, and so that's what that song is about. And I think just the relationship with, there's something about, you know, the, you know the Jeremiah talks about stand at the crossroads and ask about the ancient ways. And that's yes. just, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to the people who've been the keeper of the book for years and years and centuries and thousands of years. And I say, you know, teach me what you know, yeah. teach me your ways. Uh, I've been going to church all my life, but I'm curious to hear your perspective on this. Uh, and I'm learning a lot. And it's it's kind of like, you know, what the chosen seems to be doing for a lot of people. You watch Jesus in a very um, Jewish, to be yeah. honest, a very human, but also a very Jewish co Jewish context. Yeah. And, you know, and you realize, huh, Jesus wasn't Italian. Jesus was Jewish. The <laughs> right. disciples were Jewish and yeah. the world they lived in was Jewish. And they went to synagogue on Saturdays. And they, this is, this is amazing. This is, yeah. this is paradigm shifting potentially. So it's a, it's a beautiful discovery. Um, and what I'm about to release next week is is um, Isaiah 53, a single, um, just in time for Passover and Good Friday that talks about the sacrifice of our Lord that was prophesied in the book of Isaiah 700 years before the crucifixion. Wow. Um, and uh, I, I just, it feels, it feels ancient and true and right um, in this, this journey that I'm on. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, that'll be out when people listen to this. So just um, give you a chance to plug anything else, any ways people can connect with you and anything else you might be working on. Oh, just AaronShoes.com is where I, you know, that's the hub for everything that I'm working on right now. So I'll post pictures of my little boy and uh, my wife's about to hop back on social media again. She's been off for a while and busy and we're going to figure into her insights. My wife, uh, boy, she's very insightful, very discerning. I, I can brag on her. She's very discerning, very <laughs> insightful. And, and what she shares is always deep and meaningful. So my wife, Sarah, is going to be sharing some stuff as well soon. And I'll, I'll point people that direction. Awesome. Well, this was a treat for me, Aaron. Thank you so much for coming on. God bless you and your ministry. God bless you, Tim. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation, this episode. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leaving a review means the world to me. I really appreciate it. And also even more than that is sharing this with a friend. I've tried different forms of advertising and nothing in my opinion is as important as someone getting a notification, a share about, hey, check out this episode coming from a trusted source can go really a long way. And so I appreciate any support you can give me along those lines. And for next week's episode, I talked to Mike Golay. He's the director of operations at Behold Israel. We have a great conversation about Israel and their role in end times as well as in current events. Until next time, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.